So hello, good morning, everybody. Uh, well, of course, if you're in a similar time zone, hello to the entire <laughs> world. Welcome to another episode of the MotoGP podcast, Last on the Breaks. I am Fran Wilde, and joining me from his lovely little flat there is Mr. Elliot York. <laughs> good morning, Elliot. How are you doing? What have we got for people today? Good morning, Fran. Yeah, I'm all good. Looking forward to today's one. We'll get him in ASAP because he's a very busy man. It's uh, Michael Laverty, of course, arguably the paddocks. Yeah, most busiest man at the minute with the new Vision Track Racing team launching in uh, in 2022 and everything else going on as well. BT Sport Pundit, of course, former MotoGP rider. Um, so, yeah, we'll get him in when we can. Here he is. Hi, Michael. ASAP. How are you doing? There we go. <laughs> Hi, Elliot. Hi, Fran. How are we doing? All good, yeah, well, all good. You, yeah. Delighted you can join us. Um, we've done a geo geographical switch, and I'm now in the UK, and you're back in Catalonia for Junior GP <laughs> this weekend, aren't you, Michael? How are you feeling after the Catalan Grand Prix and ready for this weekend? We'll start with the easiest question possible. How's it going at this <laughs> midpoint of 2022? Yeah, good, good. Uh, the, the boys in GP have been going really well. Um, Scott was the first time with the league group in Catalonia, Unfortunately, not able to get as far forward as I think his potential is, but he was right there and setting good lap times and scoring more points, which was our target in year one. Um, unfortunately, Josh didn't have a great, great race day there, but had a really, really strong Saturday practice and, and setting some good times. So it was a positive weekend in Catalonia. After that, I flew back to the UK, had to load up, um, had a lot, another bike and parts case and uh, wheel rack and a lot of bits I needed to get down here for junior GP this weekend in Barcelona so I basically flew home for a few hours to jump in a van to drive two days back down here a load of stops around the UK pick up a load of items and then drive through France yesterday so got back down to Catalonia last night and uh, a well-deserved night's sleep and uh, now we're on track this morning so busy as always but it's all going to plan. Yeah, very busy. Like I say, you are probably the most busiest man in the paddock in 2022 with Vision Track, of course, becoming a thing in the Grand Prix paddock. It was over in um, Britain at first, wasn't it? So how's that all going? We wanted to know, how do you start a team from scratch? Because obviously we work in the paddock, but we have no idea um, if we got money together, how we'd begin to even think about building a team with the logistics, not just obviously being at the circuit, but everything else that goes on. Uh, behind the scenes as well. Yeah, it's been a, a massive undertaking, to be honest. It, it uh, all <laughs> came together last, well, the end of last summer, whenever the grid spots became available with the demise of both Grassini and Petronas in Moto3. And the opportunity was there. And I had floated the idea past Mike Trimby saying, uh, I'd love to have a British team in this paddock, a landing platform for young riders to come into a, a friendly atmosphere. And then um, that was the, the goal but I was targeting maybe two, three years down the line to give me time to put the infrastructure together, find the staff, the logistics, understand what I was undertaking. But sometimes these opportunities come along when you're not quite ready for them. And um, yeah, I just had to grab it with, with both feet, really. Okay, sorry, jump in with both feet, grab it with both hands. Um, I had the backing from, from Vision Track, and that was the most important part of the puzzle. So having the, the, the title sponsor meant that we were we were on our way so with the backing of Erda and Dorna I went about finding my riders was the first thing obviously Junior GP is the developing ground for the next Moto3 riders and Scott Ogden had been performing well all year he had won a race and Josh Watley as well was in the top 10 was 
a little bit too young maybe to go to GPs, but um, he was the next best Brit. So ideally, would have probably left him a junior GP for another year, but it would have meant with the age limit rising next year, he couldn't have come in for another two years. So he's in a little bit earlier than he perhaps planned career-wise, but um, but we wanted to make a British team with a British sponsor with, um, with two British riders right from the off, and we managed to achieve that. But yeah, the hard bit was actually over the winter was finding the staff. Um, I, I bought all the equipment, all the, the race trucks, the guards, set up our workshop down here in Barcelona. Uh, Brexit was an absolute nightmare for me, um, trying to set up uh, the team, uh, working from the UK, racing around around the world. And, and um, I ended up actually being Irish, I set up an Irish company to run it, to stay within the single market within the EU. So even though we're a British team, we're actually an Irish team. So the, my company that runs the Grand Prix team is now an Irish team. So actually understanding all that, the business end of the, it was a big learning curve for me. Then uh, managing all the parts, putting all the orders in in time with Honda, all your bodywork, all your wheels, everything you need to put in place for the team. Um, and then we got down to the workshops in Barcelona, got set up in January. And then with bringing on Taylor McKenzie as the team manager, he's grown into that role really quickly that within a few rounds, I felt like I could almost step back a little bit and let the team and Taylor take care of the GP job. And then I went about setting up the junior GP team and the British Championship team. So it was wasn't just one team I was building from scratch, it was three. So I've had to <laughs> had to set up, I've got five riders in the British Talent Cup and I've got um, I've got uh, Jordan Pritchard and Nathan Smith who run that team for me. And now I've got that to an area where I can step back from it. And now I'm, I'm a bit hands-on here in the Spanish team in junior GPs. So we're assembling the staff and crew and we're now at round three and I feel like this team's now almost there. So I think by the end of the season, I'll have three race teams all set up, all the, everything we need, all the infrastructure, the parts, the staff, and the, the material that it should be, I might get my life back. I should be able to take a breath and, and step back, take my foot off the gas. But I feel like I've just been going, running full steam ahead since um, since we announced this project last, I think it was September. But yeah, I went, the only time I had off was a little bit of a forced holiday over Christmas because Italy and Spain basically shut down. I couldn't contact anyone I wanted to, but I anything. So I was hamstrung a little bit for a few weeks. But apart from that, I've been working seven days a week and long hours into the night a lot of the time. And then first thing in the morning, I'm cracking on again. So actually, to be fair, I shouldn't say that I haven't had a day off because whenever I work with BT Sport, I feel like I don't have to think about the race team mm-hmm. for a little bit. So that feels like a mental holiday. It's a break. I think about everyone else in the paddock and don't worry about the... The, the bills yeah, that are coming yeah. in and who needs to be paid and whatnot. So it's a different dynamic and one I really enjoy. It's a nice mix. Yeah, it, you have got kind of two separate lives now, haven't you? In the best way possible, where you're like team boss, manager, everything else. And then with BT, obviously on TV, looking unflappable and like you've absolutely not done the previous six days of work in a <laughs> row from sunrise to sunset. But uh, yeah, it, it seems like a lot of stuff, but it's an incredible project that you've built because you have essentially built that ladder now from the British Talent Cup to the Moto3 World Championship because you have, yep, the riders in the BTC where obviously there are opportunities as well on the road to MotoGP, like we've got Eddie O'Shea that moved up to the junior talent team, but there's now a much wider path for the Brits coming from there to Moto3. Um, How kind of, what is your long-term vision with this? Was this always the plan to create this kind of full pathway rather than just the destination in Meta 3 or did it all kind of come together as you realised the opportunities were there? Honestly it's been a whirlwind that I don't really know how I've ended up here. <laughs> I started <laughs> during lockdown I met um, during lockdown I met Simon Marsh from Vision Track and we had um, we had a common uh, 
goal uh, to provide that that pathway. So we started a little youth academy in the mini bike scene in the UK, and it was always a sort of a pipe dream that we would create that full path. Well, a pipe dream in my head, but Simon was very focused, and he he had a clear path. As a man who's built businesses in a hurry, and I've somehow fallen into building this business in a hurry, but we've managed <laughs> to establish uh, the full pathway. Copy, take a leaf out of the book of the Spanish and Italian systems, and and what American racing are trying to do as well. So start from the mini bikes, have a lot of young riders graduate into uh, the British Talent Cup, European Talent Cup. Um, we've got Motor Two and Stock Six Hundred down here as well, and then into the Motor Three Grand Prix class. So we just need the Motor Two GP team in the future, and then we've got all the way from we grab you when you're eight years old, and we can take you up to prepare you for Motor GP. So that is the that was the plan. I never expected to do it in one year, but. It was one of those where the opportunities kept coming along and I kept saying yes and I just got myself in deeper and deeper and I was like, you know what, I'll find a way to make this happen because if I put it all together, it will be a fantastic thing for the young riders from the UK and Ireland to have that platform. I think Dorna do a great job with the British talent team, but as you mentioned, there's only Eddie O'Shea who gets the benefit from that currently. So now we've got Casey O'Gorman riding Red Bull rookies, but can get extra track time with us in European Talent Cup and we can... Um, we can give them more opportunities. So we've got um, we've got most of the the bright young talent from the the UK at the moment on Envision Track Colours, and um, we'll always be keeping an eye out for the for the next generation and providing opportunities where we can. It's not easy when you're trying to manage a budget and you want to you want to do as much as possible, but obviously uh, budgets your your constraint at the end of the day. <clears throat> and when your uh, year one setup costs, whenever you're buying everything from scratch, you have to buy it all all once and that normally you factor that in over maybe a three-year period but everything you buy whether it's trucks or toolboxes or garage equipment year one you're, you've got to do that from scratch for each team so um yeah it's been an expensive season and uh, just <laughs> my last week I, I'm, I'm a bookkeeper as well my own accountant for my sins so I had my VAT return to do this week and I've been doing that for for um for days and it was so stressful alongside trying to I'm travel coordinator as well, book flights for Japan and Australia at the end of the year and, and make sure that all the mechanics and staff had everything they needed. So I, I probably took on a little bit too much, but in some ways, good to do it from, right from the the grassroots, essentially. So I'm, I've been involved with every decision, every every purchase that's been made, every every flight that's been booked. Whereas next year, if I get a coordinator on board who can I can delegate to, I know what's involved and I know what it should cost. So if they're um, making mistakes, I'll be able to slap them in the knuckles. <laughs> yeah it's obviously tough now isn't it but i think once you get everything in place and at the end of the season you can put your feet up and know you've done the best job you could have done and as obviously two british uh fans let's say we're very thankful that there's now a a pathway for brits into motorcycle racing because obviously we work for motor gp and we are not biased but we do like to see our own country flying the flag. So talking of our own country, how have Scott and Josh getting on? We mentioned them a little bit earlier, but Scott's been sensational, really, I think. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, obviously, Josh has got a little bit less experience. You mentioned there that um, it probably wasn't the right time for him to come in, but um, it's a good opportunity for him anyway and give him time and he'll come good. So, yeah, how are those guys getting on in Motor 3? Yeah, good. To be fair, we had modest targets at the start of the year of what we could achieve. So consistent points uh, from Scott is completely on target. I've been there for too long. Um, Josh, as you mentioned, it's been a bit of a tougher path, and I think he set his goals a little bit too high initially, maybe. 
and now it's starting to level out. He's he's finding the pace and understanding the process of what it takes to to be fast over a race weekend and to adapt to the Honda. He was on a KTM last year, but both boys are improving every weekend. The team are gelling. They now function as a as a very experienced team, despite being a, a rookie squad that have all been uh, placed together in the in the winter time. So yeah, I'm really proud of what we've achieved and put together in, in GPs and how it's working so far. So. We've got some good experienced staff in there. They both riders are rookies to the MotoGP class, but come through the junior GP, so they're they're um, at a high level, but they're they're still learning, still developing. And um, Taylor McKenzie in there as as a a new team manager has grown into that role so fast. He's doing a brilliant job as well. So this racer who's been through the Red Bull rookies and the the GP life and knows what it's knows the stresses and pressures the young lads are under. So he's been a like a big brother figure, putting the arm around them when they need it, but also pulling them into line whenever they, they need to be a bit more disciplined. So he's been, um, yeah, he's been really good. A bit more disciplined. I, I can't imagine what you might mean with uh, interview timings. <laughs> no. From from like the outside though, given everything you've said about how quickly everything came together and the fact that you have set up almost everything at once, it is incredible that from the outside you can't tell at all. It looks like this is part of an extremely, you know what I mean? Like it looks like the plan has been there for years and that it's slowly come together and it's just been kind of from the outside, it looks fairly effortless, super professional. And in all of the categories that you're racing in, because you've been running at the front in Genie GP and the British Talent Cup had that incredible historic win for two riders at once uh, pretty recently. That was amazing. And then in Moto3 as well, obviously, yeah, Josh learning the ropes, but Scott already has been really fighting up there. He's had a couple of top 10s, hasn't he? Uh, he's certainly been in the top 10 a fair bit of time on track. You must be really proud of that looking at it now. But how do you kind of balance the fact that you still have that foot on the gas, but it's like so much is done already and just trying to get to the point where you are hands off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah well thank you for the kind words it is the sometimes i get a little bit frustrated that i'm always full steam ahead and i don't actually get time to um appreciate what we've achieved th this far or thus far in this season i'm always looking what we can do better how we can improve what we what we need to address to to move forward um actually to be honest the the removal of Finland for this season has been um, has, has come at, at, <laughs> at, at the right time for me. So it gives me a window now that I get a proper summer break. So I've always been saying if I get to July and then um, it just gives me that window because that was one thing items a lot of teams are struggling as well getting getting material whenever you you think you know one or two months is enough of a lead time but even manufacturing team clothing and things i'm still waiting on deliveries coming that i've ordered months ago so i think just catching up on the backlog once all that's fixed then um then i can focus on actually promoting the team and promoting how good a job they, they have done across the board and then um putting their plans and proposals together for next year trying to bring more partners on board uh promote the, what we're doing and get sponsors interested and, and look towards the future, what more we can do. So it is one of those, I'm always pushing um, pushing ahead, uh, full steam. But um, I would I would like to be able to take a week off at some point in that summer break as well. It'd be nice just to get a little breather, but I do feel that it's all come together nicely that I've got, I've got some great people. I've got to say that I've been lucky in, in a few fine staff ways that have been, um, I've been so 
I just hold to Kale. So um, yeah, I think we've achieved a lot in a short space of time. Good job, and I stand in pit lane and watch the boys go to work. And you see, whenever a bike's been crashed and they get them back on track in record time, they're they're uh, quite streamlined, very efficient. They work well. So it's um, yeah, very proud whenever you you see the the squad you've assembled and how it works. Before we let you go, Michael, we'll just touch on obviously BT Sport and the 2022 season. It's like your, like you say, your downtime sort of thing. Not thinking about Vision Track instead of talking, uh, instead, sorry, talking about what's going on on track. Um, how's how do you see the 2022 season going? Obviously, we've just seen Fabio dominate the Catalan GP. He's leading the championship by 22 points now, I think. Um, so yeah, how how do you see the season going so far? We're approaching obviously the midway stage. Yeah, it's been interesting. Obviously, Fabio reigning world champion and looked like it was going to be a struggle at the start whenever we saw the Yamaha down on the horsepower and I thought he's this year. But Peko had a bit of a, a tough start with the new bike and now they're finding their feet with it. But he's actually struggling in points with a few inconsistencies. But um, yeah, i got to say Fabio stepped it up and, and really delivered. He is proven to be the, the champion that obviously we've seen over the last few years but how he's managed to to almost work miracles has been really impressive but i think the standout this year has been aprilia and Aleish and the development they've done over the the last few seasons now they're getting the rewards the, the fruits of their labor that they're in their genuine championship contender so i think it does look like it's going to be consistently fabio peco and Aleish at the front but you've got a number of riders there interested in uh, plot lines going on with like the Ducati factory seat alongside Peco and Martin and Bastianini both up at the front and obviously Bastianini taking those wins this season so it's been a bit of a, a turn up for the books I've been enjoying and, yeah, a few in there obviously we didn't expect them um, to unfold how it has but um yeah it's been it's been a great season to this point I look forward to um the the second part obviously we're heading towards that summer break and with Fabio having such a strong Mugello and then backing it up in Catalonia with that uh, strong ride, I think it just established himself as the favourite once again this season. But um, I know he's going to have to fight all the way to the flag. It's going to be a, a great season ahead of us. Yeah, that's what he said, wasn't it? That this year he's just going to fight for eighth like it's the win every single week because <laughs> that's what he's going to have to do to try and retain that crown. So, so far, definitely staying true to that. We do have a question from, or a couple of questions from the Twitch chat for you. One is, who do you think will replace Miller at Ducati? Obviously, it was confirmed this morning that it definitely won't be Jack alongside Peko. And then secondly, how do you feel about the age limits in Moto3, but especially the upper age limit? So guys like maybe John McPhee, Nicolo Antonelli is what Maria says. They have to move up or kind of move on to something else. What do you what do you think of those two? Bit of a different uh, so, set of questions. Yeah, there. <laughs> two different <laughs> questions. Um, well, starting with the Ducati uh, prospect, honestly, I've got a feeling that um, that Ducati hierarchy quite like Jorge Martin, but Bastianini is definitely the, how he's performed this year. Um, he, I think he he's very deserving of that seat, but then it ends up to Italian riders for an Italian manufacturer. Do they want a little bit of um, a different nationality in there, a bit of diversity with Jorge? Um, are they? Do they, they think he's maybe the the better prospect of the two, I don't know, but um, I think they're they're spoiled at the moment because they've got Bezecchi and Marini coming behind that. You've got Digi starting to perform. You've got Zarco, the stalwart there, who's consistent every weekend. You've got Peko, your championship favourite. So 
they are really spoiled for choice at the moment. Um, whenever you look at their lineup of riders, and I think the development system it's brought all those Italian riders to the fore, ready to take on those uh, factory Ducati. So I I could see it going Jorge Martin's way. I don't know why I've got that feeling that. If it was Bastianini, it would have been done by now. But maybe I'm just looking into it a little bit that Jorge had a bit of a, a lull there. And obviously last weekend performing again might put him back in the in that window for the factory Ducati seat just at the right time. But I guess they're not under pressure to make that decision right away ahead of the summer break. They've got time. Um, the other question then with the age limits. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I agree 100% with the lower age limit going up to 18 where... Um, a little bit at odds with it is the this transition period is hurting some riders that have prepared and spent money over a few years of doing their uh, mini bike riding, their Moto4, their Moto3, British Talent Cup to progress now. Um, one of my riders, Casey O'Gorman's, had a couple of years in European Talent Cup and ideally would step up to junior worlds next year in the Moto3 class, but he only turns 15 this year and that goes up to 16. So he's going to have to spend a little bit longer in, um, in the... European Talent Cup ranks, but is actually ready because he's prepared to the old age rules. So I do think there's probably more than just Casey, but um, yeah, there's going to be a few riders that are caught out by the the lower limit going up. As for the higher limit, I do think, I don't like it, to be honest, and not just because of John McPhee. He's, I, I personally manage John as well. He's one of my riders, so I need to find him a seat in Moto2 mm-hmm. next year. Um, but he's, uh, yeah, he's going to be affected by the, the upper age limit, and as is Nicolo Antonelli, as was Efren Vazquez before. And I look back to the, the 90s, and I w- remember watching the likes of Lucio Cecanello, Nobu Ueda, um, the, the, the elder statesman who stayed in the class a little bit longer. There was a lot of um, Uichi Wii, a lot of the, the older Japanese riders who really performed and helped bring on the young riders because they, they were always competing against that experience, that person with the racecraft. So they did learn something um, against those elder statesmen, so I don't think it, it, I don't think it needs that upper age limit because it can be a class that um, that keeps. It will only be a small minority, but there'll be a few riders that are smaller that are suited to the smaller bikes. As remember, Loris Caparossi going up, coming back down again, going up in in five hundreds to two fifties, and not many riders done at two fifties to one two five. So it's um yeah, it's a bit of a shame whenever you age out of a class uh, and the. You you no longer have that prospect. I understand why they've done it because they want that that path to MotoGP to be clear that everyone jumps on Moto three, target that Moto two seat, and off they go. But whenever you've brought the lower age limit up, you should probably br- uh, raise the upper age limit too because you've made that window a little bit narrower. But um, but yeah, obviously needs to move on. He ride a bigger best spot in Moto two, but the seats are are hard to find um, we need to put a, a vision track moto 2 team together and put john on it that would be the perfect <laughs> fit so we just need to find um, a couple of grid spots and a, and a few more um, euros coming our way to, to fund that but yeah that would be the ideal uh, scenario for us <laughs> we have we have that step in stone and then the likes of well, nothing against superbike because i'm a superbike rider myself but we've got a lot of talent like uh, brad ray and taran mckenzie and kyle Reid and and um those riders who ended up in BSB or are now probably setting up a future in World Superbike, but they could have Rory Skinner's another one who's on a Superbike now, but could be could do with being on in a Moto Two if you, we want to set up our next Moto GP riders. So you look at Cal Crickslow, Jake Dixon, Sam Lowe's all Superbike trained and, and spent their their younger years in in Superbike, and it's it's a great class. But you look at all the top Moto GP riders now. They are 
we're three graduates, so we need that platform. We need that that British team, that that um, possibility for um, for the likes of Rory Skinner and John McPhee, for example, to put on a on two motor two bikes next year. Give them that, that time to develop this in this. Uh, but it is that's a tough class, you know. It's such a, a lion's den. You look at um, Sam Lowe's and Jake Dixon are doing a great job, but they've had moments when they're when they've had tough times because of the depth of field in there. So um, yeah. Uh, I'm rambling a little bit now, but that's <laughs> that's my, my thinking. Is we need we need that that next step on the ladder, and and then um, yeah, we we've got great riders in, in Jake and, and Sam in there at the moment, but we need to prepare that that um, the the next riders on that path. I very much enjoy the fact that you started that being like, oh, well, really, you should raise the age limit a little bit as well if you raise the lower one. And then actually what I should do is just start a whole new team <laughs> right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so much for the holiday. Yeah? Um, but yeah, that, well, that sounds like exciting for the future for sure. Um, and to hear as well that you still got so much ambition of what you want to do with it and take it into even another category, not just to the MotoGP paddock on the bottom rung within that paddock, but also um, up towards the premier class as well. Um, but we will let you go now because we've already, we've stolen you for half an hour. Uh, but thank you very much for your time. It's been great hearing about the project and everything you want to do with it in the future and everything you've already done this year. Um, I knew Taylor was uh, quite kind of taking everything like, Oh, this is a lot in the best way <laughs> when I spoke to him in Portimao, but it seems like you've really worked miracles behind the scenes, <clears throat> excuse me, to make everything happen. So congrats on it all, as well as thank you for talking to us. And we'll, uh, we'll see you next time out in Germany. Perfect. Thank you very much, Fran. Thanks. Cheers, Michael. Appreciate it. Pleasure. I look forward to Thanks very much. Oh, he's gone. I think we lost yeah, a little bit of the connection sure. there at the end as well. <laughs> Bye. Um, <laughs> but no, that was that was a great little chat hearing. I love conversations like that when, especially at the moment, we've had a back-to-back, -back, then we had a test. Well, you've not had a back-to-back. -back. Some of <laughs> us have <laughs> had a back-to-back -back and then a test. And you're like, oh, it's Thursday. Come on, bit more coffee. And then you sit yeah. down and talk to someone who's just like, yep, absolutely smashing it. Here's everything I want to do. Here's everything we've already done. Let's go. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> let's go. So I hope everyone else has enjoyed a bit of Thursday motivation from that as well. Thank you very much for your questions in the chat as well. And in the chat, we did the question that we asked Michael from one of you, who do you think will join Miller at Ducati? We've had that as a poll. So shall we start with Ducati and, I mean, where should we start? We covered Fabio a little bit there with Michael. There's not much more to say on Fabio, is there? Doing the best job possible, absolutely amazing, yeah. ticking the box. But then obviously in the championship, it was fairly seismic seeing Pecco go down at turn one, Bastianini crashed, Jorge Martins back in the mix. And then this morning, it was also confirmed Jack Miller's to leave Ducati as well. So that seat is definitely for one of those guys. Definitely is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with Michael. I think a couple of weeks ago, um, I'd have said it was Bastianini's to lose, maybe. Um, but I'm now starting to edge towards, I think it might be Jorge Martin again. So, I mean, they both deserve it, don't they? Um, Bastianini's obviously had an incredible season. Martin's been a bit up and down. Um, but he said after the race on Sunday, obviously got on the podium, um, that he's got his old bike back. He's got the front feeling back, which he needs um, 
to perform like we've seen him do, especially in his rookie year last year. Um, so yeah, it's interesting what Michael says. I think it might be Jorge Martin, but obviously we don't we don't know, do we? Um, but yeah, Miller out is quite surprising, if I'm honest. At this stage, I think a couple of months ago, I'd have said Miller's probably going to keep his factory rights. Just for the harmony, in my opinion, because obviously Peko enjoyed him having been teammate. They have Peko there as their sort of title contender. Um, but yeah, good move for KTM, good move for Miller, I think, if they can just find a couple of attempts on the bike. Brad Binder and Jack Miller's a very, very strong team. Um, but, and that, of course, the knock-on effect of that is Miguel Oliveira is now looking for a job. So, interesting times yeah, at Ducati. interesting, isn't it? Um, yeah, with Oliveira, obviously, he said he didn't want the Tech 3 spot. So, mm-hmm. straight from the horse's mouth, that is. No rumour. He said he didn't want yeah. it. So, it does look like he'll probably be leaving the Austrian ranks. But, yeah, I mean, what a lineup in Binder and uh, and Jack Miller, just as, like, two characters and just the amount of barbecue that they're going to have to get <laughs> through now at KTM is just astronomic. Um, but yeah, it's interesting then. At the moment, the poll was at 63% for Bastianini, 25 mm. for Martin. Uh, and we did have Zarco in there as well as an option to uh, buff out the uh, the poll options. Uh, but yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? I was thinking it was going to be Jorge Martin. Then mm-hmm. with Bastianini, when he won the second race, I was like, hmm, this is really quite a problem for the people making these decisions. Then when he won the third race, even more so. But then when he said, Pecco's scared to have me as a teammate or words to that effect, mm. exactly because what you said about Harmony, I was like, hmm, this is interesting. Uh, but then he beat Pecco at Le Mans. So, you know, it's like it's a whole conundrum with so many different facets to it, isn't it? But it'll certainly be very interesting. I mean, they're both incredible riders. Um, and it'd yeah. be great to see it. And even if Jorge Martins not said that, I'm sure he would get on that bike intending to beat his teammate, uh, even if it is Peko <laughs> Banyaya who is that teammate. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting one, that one, isn't it? And then, like Michael said, Alicia Prillia, just incredible. Do we want to say anything yeah. about the late heartbreak? It I still mean, we hurts should, me. But, yeah, I mean, I... Like you said before, I wasn't on the back-to-back. I was having a couple of weekends off. Um, so I didn't watch it live. Um, and obviously, I, with all the chats blowing up and obviously on Twitter, I saw what happened. And even watching it back, you knew what was coming. But even so, it's just like, oh, man. Like the way Bertie and Lewis on comms reacted as well. It's like they were just shell-shocked. I think everyone was, weren't they? Um, I think, yeah, yeah I mean, in Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I think as well, it's like, like if that happens to Quartararo, possibly because he is more used to running at the front or there is a younger rider, it's less likely by definition to happen to him. But it feels like because Aleish is this amazing narrative of like working so hard with Aprilia over so many years, really making his way up there. And just when they're on that incredible run of podiums, you get this <laughs> yeah. little sprinkle of heartbreak from just a perfectly innocent mistake, you know. <clears throat> it's, you know, just a painful, I mean, easily done, I don't know. I've I've never tucked in the bubble yeah. down the straight at the, <laughs> at the Circuit de Catalina trying to look for a pit board. But uh, yeah, certainly. I think we can all feel for him. I hope he's able to laugh about it soon enough and not take too much pain because... 
He was still in the top five. Yeah. And I think for me anyway, my my human response to anything like that, when it's just incredible pain or cringe or anything similar, <laughs> you've got to laugh about it as soon as humanly possible so that you can really process it and move on and take away that power to still make you go, oh, when you remember it. Uh, so yeah, oh, we've got the final result of the poll then. Bastianini seventy percent, Martin twenty. That's interesting, people. Uh, let us know if you though, yeah. disagree with that. If you're listening on audio later, let us know with the hashtag MotoGP podcast. Let's see. Uh, although by the time it comes out, who knows with how fast some of these things are moving? Maybe we'll just get the announcement tomorrow at six a.m. with no warning. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so interesting stuff. And then what were the other key talking points from Catalonia? There's always plenty to look at, um, but it's you know well, that we had Martin the, the crash, didn't we? Aleish. We are. Oh, we did. We did. Obviously, a big talking point has been very. Uh, yes. What's the word? Very discussed. Controversial on Twitter. Um. Obviously, with a lot of riders saying they didn't think it was a racing incident. The stewards' decision is that it was a racing incident. Uh. Because it is basically the threshold to get a penalty in situations like that is if you're obviously being super over ambitious basically so if you've steaming into turn one on the brakes gaining like two positions and 50 meters sliding all over the place <laughs> and then skittle everyone in front of you there's no reasonable way you were going to make that corner and it's just pure over ambition but if you've just made a mistake you've acted similarly to those around you then you've made a mistake even if unfortunately that mistake does lead you to make contact with another rider etc like we saw with Peko and Martin in Qatar that's not usually a penalty offense but obviously it was a very controversial and high profile incident being at turn one as well so we won't say anything about the stewards <laughs> decision that's not for us they've made that decision but that is usually the threshold for a penalty which they don't believe was met because Taka unfortunately lost the front as unfortunately thousands of riders have done before and thousands will again so i think it'd be interesting to see how that conversation progresses once you've got a little bit more calm and a bit of a breath of uh, just a deep breath for everyone and then come back at yeah. germany Assen, and see if they discuss it in the safety commission and then if they tell us what they've discussed in the safety commission so it'd be an interesting one i think yeah i think one thing to say as well is thankfully Tacker's relatively okay. I know he's spent a couple of nights in hospital, but that was a, a scary whack on the, the head he got from Peko's rear tyre, wasn't it? And yeah, we wish Rinswell, of course, with his fractured left wrist. Um, yeah, we won't comment on the stewards' decision. They've made their decision. Probably the right one. Um, yeah, that's, that's just... We won't comment on it, to... but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's for everyone else to discuss, but... Yeah, it can happen, can't it? Everyone's took the front. It's just a shame that it happened when it did. And it wasn't like Alvaro Bautista on Jorge Lorenzo Assen a few years ago, was it? Where he just completely lost the front, outbraked himself and took out Jorge Lorenzo. So, yeah, I think the main thing is everyone's relatively okay. Disappointing for Pekka, of course. He's now 66 points, I think, behind Fabio going into Germany and... Um, Assen, of course, Assen is. <laughs> I can't. I can't see anyone beating Fabio Assen, if I'm honest. Um, if he can run Peko close at Mugello, dominate at Catalunya, 
yeah, he won at Assen last year, of course. So Germany will be interesting. First one without Mark. Of course, he came back last year and still obviously unfit or obviously past fit. But, you know, well, you know what I mean with his arm. Um, <laughs> Not at full fitness. Still yeah. <laughs> Not at full fitness. That's the that's the phrase I'm looking for. So Germany will be interesting. We're going to have a new winner in MotoGP. So that'll be... Um, That'd be good to watch. But yeah, Assen should be a worry for everyone with depending what happens at Germany, if Fabio gets a podium and then wins at Assen. It's going to be tough. From it's there a lot to, to come guys, back so. from, isn't it? I think what's yeah. interesting though, as well as last year when Paco hadn't really seemed like he was going to go on the run that he did. And obviously his yeah. latter half of the season was incredible. Be interesting psychologically after he's had a tougher start to the season. Seems to have really put that behind him now. Like Mugello is an incredible ride. You know, didn't look like this is the same guy who'd made that mistake in Qatar or, you know, really struggled in the wet in Lombok and all of those little hurdles he had at the start. I think it's going to be interesting psychologically now where it's no longer... I have to make these gains in the title fight, but I also have to be careful not to make another mistake. Now it's just like, I have got to absolutely crank this up to 11 (laughs) and just give it everything and see where we end up. So it could potentially be quite exciting for those of us watching as well, but we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, yeah, I think that's, have we covered everything? I think we have, haven't we? I say so, yeah, I would say. So we obviously touched on Miller's move to... KTM with Michael um, and then a bit after as well, which is the big news of this morning, if anyone's not seen it. Um, yeah, all the jigsaw Yeah, sorry if this is when you found out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> breaking news. Um, the jigsaw puzzles are falling into place now, aren't they? Obviously, we had Fabio over the weekend confirm his new deal with Yamaha, which personally I didn't think would happen a couple of months ago. I know since then it's they've got back on track he's leading the world championship but it looked at some stage where it might not happen and he said it himself didn't it was a tough decision it wasn't just straightforward of yeah we're on form let's do it um so yeah some some big moves coming up in the transfer market which is always exciting um and yeah the the double header which is crucial for the championship as we've just discussed so and then a decent summer break and then we go again for the final half of the year we do, which is actually slightly less than half of the year this time around. Um, yeah. So, yeah, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you, Michael, who's no, I was going to say, who's no longer with us, who's no longer on the stream <laughs> with us. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, let us know if you have any comments, questions, feedback, anything at all. Hashtag MotoGP podcast. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back after Germany for another one, then after Assen. So, yeah, we'll see. Two pivotal weekends coming up, although... Every weekend is worth the same. Obviously, momentum is. is real too. And it's always interesting <laughs> to see who goes into summer ahead. So, yeah, join us for those. Thank you very much for joining us now. And uh, ciao, toodaloo for now. Everyone have a great day wherever you are in the world. Cheers, guys.